Today I'll be preaching from today I'll be preaching from the book of Micah chapter seven. Trust you'll find your places there, or you have found your places there. And Micah chapter seven for the preaching of God's word. And I'll be reading today from verses one down to verse number thirteen. Micah chapter 7 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Woe is me, for I am as when they have gathered the summer fruits, as the grape gleanings of the vintage. There is no cluster to eat. My soul desired the first ripe fruit. The good man is perished out of the earth, and there is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man, his brother, with a net that they may do evil with both hands earnestly. The prince asketh, and the judge asketh for reward. And the great man, he uttereth his mischievous desire, so they wrap it up. The best of them is as a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of thy watchman and thy visitation cometh. Now Now shall be their perplexity. Trust ye not in a friend. Put ye not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. For the son dishonoreth the father. The daughter riseth up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Therefore I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord, because I have sinned against him, until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light, and I shall behold his righteousness. Then she that is mine enemy shall see it, and shame shall cover her, which said unto me, Where is the Lord thy God? Mine eyes shall behold her. Now shall she be trodden down as the mire of the streets. In the day that thy walls are to be built, in that day shall the decree be far removed. In that day also he shall come even to thee from Assyria, and from the fortified cities, and from the fortress even to the river, and from sea to sea, and from mountain to mountain. Notwithstanding, the land shall be desolate because of them that dwell therein, for the fruit of their doings. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, your love, your tender mercies towards us. Thank you for your precious son. Thank you for the precious name of Jesus. Thank you for sacrifice that was made on a rugged cross over 2,000 years ago so that we can have life and have it more abundantly. Lord, I pray today as your word goes forth, that each and every heart will be fertile soil to receive your word with gladness. And I pray today that your will would be accomplished in every heart. I pray if there's someone here today who does not know you as personal Lord and Savior, may your word speak in such a powerful way. And may that one recognize his or her need for a Savior. Pray that lost souls would be saved that every believer would be challenged to be closer drawn to you. Dear Lord, give me the words you'll have me to say for this occasion. Cleanse me of sin, empty me of self. Fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. 
May self be hidden and may Jesus Christ be seen. Take full control and we'll be careful to give you the glory, honor, and praise for you alone are worthy of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You can be seated. As a child growing up, in the house that I grew up in, there was discipline in the home. When I say the word discipline, let me describe it as such. Discipline is the act or the actions of bringing back into alignment that which is out of alignment. This discipline that I refer to can take on a variety of different forms. Discipline can be by way of instruction, by way of teaching. Discipline can be simply a look. How many of you know about that look? Discipline can be a warning. Discipline can be some form of correction. Discipline can be a good old-fashioned spanking. And I say this today because during those times when I was experiencing discipline in the form of spanking, the required response was often interesting. If you cry too loud, you are told, be quiet. And if you don't cry, you appear to be stubborn and you're given more licks until you actually do cry. You go and figure it out. But as I grew older and I reflect on this requirement, I recognize that what was being addressed is that in response to correction, you ought to have the correct attitude to discipline. Because the response and the right response is what brings about change. We sing this song, and I love this song. We sang it maybe a few Sundays ago. That God is a good, good father. You believe that? Say amen. amen. And this good, good father treats us as his children. Those of us who know him personally can attest to that personal relationship. This father, he loves us. He provides for us. He protects us. But he also corrects us. Any good father will do all of these things. I want to draw your attention to Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. I trust that you were paying attention as we read this during our scripture reading. But I just want to read a few verses here to bring this back to our minds and hearts 
Look with me at verse number five. It says, and he have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. Look at this word, my son. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If he endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if he be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. And so as we've seen from these verses, that there are times when God applies discipline to bring his beloved children back into alignment. But let me also say very importantly that it is important to know that not all suffering is the result of chastisement. Some of it is the result of God's testing. God seeking to try us and to test us so that when we come forth, we come forth as gold. James chapter 1 speaks to this in verses number 2 and uh, up to verse number 4. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. And this word temptations is, it can be replaced and, uh, by the word testing. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that he may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Sometimes that, 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 that difficulty that God is allowing in your life and in our lives is to grow us up, to mature us, or to help us to develop some patience. Anybody want patience this morning? I don't think too many people are going to say yes because they figure a test coming. But back in the book of Micah, in chapter 7 specifically, God was disciplining his chosen people, the nation of Israel for their rebellion. And I wanted to look at this passage this morning and preach a message entitled, Responding to the Rod of Correction. Responding to the Rod of Correction. You see, my friends, it's so vital that we understand that our response an attitude while being disciplined are vital to us receiving the discipline in the right way so that we change appropriately as a result. If we don't receive what God is allowing in our lives, we'll never change to the way that he would have us to be. I still want to look at this passage, and uh, this will really be a part two because um, this entire chapter, we don't have the time to go through all of it, but we'll get through some of it this week, and then next week we'll have the second part of it. But I want you to, if you're taking notes, notice with me, first of all, very importantly, in the context of this passage, it's important to understand that the chastisement, the suffering, was a result of sin. So you can jot down chastisement, because of sin. Notice with me verses number one and two. 
says, woe is me. For I am as when they have gathered the summer fruits, as the grape gleanings of the vintage, there is no cluster to eat, for my soul desireth the first ripe fruit. Now you read this, and you might be thinking that, that Micah here, uh, the prophet, is talking about eating some delicious fruit. But he's using a metaphor for actually the fact that there was a scarcity, note this, of people who are righteous. A scarcity of people who are righteous. And he explains this in verse number 2. Notice what he says. The good man is perished out of the earth. And there is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man his brother with a net. Now, here is the chastisement that God was allowing his people to endure as a result of their sin. It manifested itself in that it was difficult or near, shy, impossible to find people who were guided by what is right. Simply put, righteous people were scarce. And so Micah describes it as going to a tree, expecting to find a delicious fruit. And when you go, all you find is leaves. All of the fruit has been already picked. We've gone to a tree expecting to find some fruit and you find nothing. Disappointing feeling. I had a similar feeling this past week. My dad come over to the house a couple days earlier. And when he came, he brought two bottles of malt. Now, some people don't like malt. Some say it's an acquired taste, I've realized, but... I was so grateful, and I said, you know what? I'm not going to drink this malt right now. I'm going to put it in the refrigerator. I'm going to tuck it away in a corner where it will not be easily seen. As a matter of fact, we, we took the second one. because He bought one for me, one for my wife. And I said, we put one in the pantry Back in a corner. I mean, we like we were trying to make sure these things stayed safe and secure. And lo and behold, several days later, the malt came back to my mind. I said, oh my, I'm going to go have that thing now. I opened the fridge and I looked in every corner, every cranny of the fridge and the malt amazingly has Disappeared. I was so disappointed. I could not find it anywhere. And up to this very moment, it is still a mystery where the malt has gone. Micah, no pun intended, 
said in Micah chapter 7 that the good man is perished from the earth. He could not find any righteous people. Do you know that there are godly women in churches all around the world looking for husbands and they can't find godly husbands. There are godly men in churches all around the world looking for godly wives and they cannot find them. There are churches looking and praying for pastors to fill the void and cannot find them. My friend, this is actually chastisement and judgment from the Lord. A scarcity of people who are righteous. Notice with me that as a result of this terrible situation, there are then selfish practices that are rampant. Look with me at verse number three and four. It says that they may do evil with both hands earnestly. What is, what is Micah saying here? As a result of, 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 of the absence of righteous people, you have people who do wrong and they do it proudly. They do it openly. They do it boldly. They do it with arrogance. No longer shy. No longer bashful. You hear this continual phrase about people coming out the closet. They're no longer shy about their sinfulness. There's a liberation as it will, if you will, to do wrong. The rebellion is open and it is strong. Look, Look at verse number three again. It says, the prince ask it and the judge Ask it for a reward. And the great man, he uttereth his mischievous desire. You know, you know what Micah is saying is happening here? Is that those in high positions are letting you know if you want justice done, it is going to cost you. If you pay me enough, I will twist the laws to get you off. And what's tragic about this situation is that these individuals are the ones making the proposition. The judge asketh for a reward. The prince asketh. Justice is thwarted because of a love for money. Look at verse number four. The best of them is as a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. Uh, Look at this situation. It's simply saying, listen, the, 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 the best you could find is real bad. 
Can you imagine what the worst is like? Selfish practices are rampant. And as a result of this, suffering, there's a suffering in personal relationships. Look at verse number five. Trust ye not in a friend. Put ye not confidence in a guide. He's simply saying because righteousness uh, is missing, because practices are so evil, you can't trust anybody. Not even your own relatives. What a dire state of affairs. Look at verse number 5 again. He says, keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in your bosom. I mean, imagine this. He's saying things are so bad. The situation is so dire. It is such a depraved state. You can't even tell the person who you are sleeping with. You can't even tell your spouse a secret. They will betray you. Bring about your downfall. What a tragic state of affairs. I mean, if it's one person you ought to be able to trust, is your spouse. But this is simply an indication of how bad things are. It is the son, the son of the father, the daughter rise up against the mother. The daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Wow. That is a really terrible situation. But to understand this context, note that this, my friend, is chastisement from the Lord because of sin. Look back at verse number 4. It says, the day of thy watchmen and the day of thy visitation cometh. What does this mean? It means that the day that the prophets have spoken of, the day that they have warned of, because of the rebellion of God's people, it is now come right upon you. And my friend, the reason why this judgment had come is because simply there was an absence of righteous people. You know why that happened? Because there was an abandonment of the word of God and of the things of God. Let me bring this home to us a little more closely. My friend, if we're going to avoid this chastisement, if we're going to avoid this dire state of affairs in our lives, listen, we're going to have to prioritize. We're going to have to preach. We're going to have to promote. We're going to have to practice the word of God. I have no problem dedicating babies to the Lord. And I'm called on fairly frequently to do that. But let me say this. That it is going to require more than a prayer at birth uh, uh, with no effort. 
to do more to have righteous people among us. I say to individuals all the time when I do dedications that you're going to have to surround your child with the right influences. You're going to have to ch- uh, surround your child, uh, influence your child with the word of God. As a matter of fact, I say in no uncertain terms that dedicating your child to the Lord actually means dedicating yourself to the Lord to raise them up in a way that honors God. We got to get rid of all this ritual and routine thinking that some magical prayer and then you go out and then just have that child just flailing in the wind spiritually speaking that is going to have some magical influence on their lives. Listen, we must raise up our children in the admonition and nurture of the word of God. And it has to be an intentional choice. Because when we do this, we are helping this world to have righteous people who will do what is right, who will develop healthy relationships and influence others to do the same. If we don't, we'll find ourselves in a situation like the children of Israel facing chastisement for our sin. But as we talk about the response to this chastisement. Notice with me very importantly, this is critical, this is crucial. Notice secondly, the confidence of the servant. This is where we have to focus on having the right attitude to the chastisement that we're experiencing. Look at verse number seven. He says, therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of what? My salvation. My God will hear me. Now, notice the confidence of the servant. I mean, he just described a dire situation. He just described a situation that, that seems is filled with desperation. But he said uh, with confidence, listen, I'm going to look to God, but he was able to have this confidence, first of all, because of a relationship. He says, I will look to the Lord, but he made it personal. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Listen, if we're going to have confidence, even when we are being chastised of the Lord, it's going to come from knowing that, listen, God is a good God. God is a great God. God is the God of the universe. God can do anything. But most importantly, this God who's allowing chastisement upon me, note this, he is my God. This suffering... This chastisement is not coming from or being allowed by an enemy who is trying to destroy me. It's coming from a God who is my father. That makes a difference. You ever have your parents try to console you after or before they spanked you And they tell you, I'm spanking you because I love you. 
Or U.S. didn't go through the trouble. Oh. In that moment, if they did, you're wondering, well, what would you do if you didn't love me? <laughs> but thank God that even in chastisement, his love is unchanging. He loves his children. The servant was able to have confidence because of his relationship with the father. Notice with me as well the restoration. Listen, this confidence didn't come from squeezing a stress ball. It did not come from taking a soothing bath. But look at verse number 8. He says, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, when I fall. I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. In other words, this servant was saying, Listen, I know I'm down right now. I, I know I'm getting a, 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 some chastisement from God. And it's not fun. And no matter of fact, I'm in the middle of suffering. But this same God shall restore me. I will not be down forever. I shall arise. And that restoration is a beautiful thing. When my family, when we bought our home just recently, it had been unoccupied for several years. And because of that reality, the several decisions that had to be made about replacing or restoring. And we had a front door, we'll have a front door, that at the time, it looked pretty beaten up. Had to make a decision. Do we replace this or do we restore this? And with some time, some effort, and some patience, this door that had looked beaten up and looking like it was done, I mean, this door was restored to look again like brand new. God is in the restoration business. You know, sometimes during our chastisement, people are quick to throw you away. Or as we say colloquially, boy, he done with. You ever heard that? But God is saying to us, listen, I can restore you. That's just what I do. Listen, you want, you want evidence that God is able to restore? Listen, if you are here today and you are saved by the grace of God, that was the ultimate restoration job right there. Sometimes we take salvation for granted. And so I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2 to notice what God did in restoring what he restored us from. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says, And you 
hath he quickened. I mean, he had made alive. Who, who, who did he do this for? Those who were dead in trespasses and sins. Listen, you, you see yourself as a sinner. Listen, we are all sinners. That's what God specializes in. We're in, in time past. He walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the ear, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Notice verse number three. Among whom also we all had our conversation, our manner of living in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature, nature, the children of wrath even as others. What a dire situation. But look at verse number four. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, hath restored us, hath made us alive, us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. My God, our God, this great Father is a God who is able to restore And if God can restore us from being dead in sin, then God can restore us after chastisement. The servant has confidence of God's restoration. Notice there was a realization back in Micah chapter 7 and verse 9. He says, as a result of understanding this, Verse number nine, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Why did this, 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 this the, the, the writer have such a positive attitude in chastisement? Why there was a realization that it was due to his own personal error. God, I failed you. And so I have to have the right attitude because I've fallen short. Oftentimes we have the wrong attitude because we act as if we are owed something different. God did us a disservice. We don't think we got what we deserved when we were chastised. My sixth grade teacher in school would tell over and over the story Every time we, we meet, uh, we would reminisce on the time early in sixth grade when she graded our test at the end of the term. And I looked at my grade, and I looked at my friend's grade, and I saw that he had gotten a half mark more than me. And I took his paper and I took my paper. We were friends like that. And I went through in great detail scrutinizing every question and every answer. And by the way, this was, as we say, a language arts paper. And he had his composition and my composition. And she graded his composition and gave him a half mark more than me. And I took his paper, which he allowed me, 
We must have been great friends, right? We were. And my paper, I went up to the teacher and critiqued and asked her, how come he got a half mark more than me based on my analysis of the two papers? And after she gave me her explanation, I didn't buy it, but she sent me back to my seat and I was shocked that she didn't change the grade. And oftentimes, we don't accept the grade that God has given to us. Why? Because we think we deserve something else. But when God grades, his grade is just. And his grade is final. The psalmist says, I have to have the right attitude because it's a realization of my personal error, but I love this. The the writer here also says that there's a realization of for not only my personal error, but for my prideful enemies. Look at verse number 10. He says, then she that is mine enemy shall see it, and shame shall cover her, which said unto me, where is the Lord thy God? Mine eyes shall behold her. Now shall she be trodden down as the mire of the streets. You know what this, the writer was saying? Even though that I'm experiencing chastisement, there shall ultimately be vindication because all those who thought it was over for me that sim- will simply see that God was not done with me yet. You know, one of the most embarrassing things for a sports team or a fan of a sports team is to trash talk to the opposing team and then when the time comes you lose and you're not able to back up the talking. Am I right? So now they say it's better to keep your mouth shut. But here we have the enemies who were ridiculing God's ability to take care of his children and also his character as a good God. You ever tell people that your God is good and your God is great and then you encounter a hardship and they come to you and say, well, I thought you said your God was good. But the writer was confident in God's restoration because he understood that God is a God who restores and that ultimately I'll be able to say to my enemies, my God is indeed a good God. He says, shame shall cover her. But notice with me the regathering. In verse number 11, it says, in the day that the walls are to be rebuilt, in the day that the decree shall be far removed, in the day also he shall come even to thee from Assyria, from fortified cities and from the fortress, even to the river and from the sea to the sea and from the mountain to the mountain. Here's what this, the, the writer was predicting. He, was on, he understood that God who had dispersed his people because of their sin shall regather them from all the corners of the world and the earth because God had a particular time for their chastisement. This is in specific reference to the Babylonian captivity of 70 years. And God had decreed that they would be there for such a time. But at the end of that time, they were to be regathered and they would rebuild the broken 
walls. Thank God that he's a merciful God. Psalm 30 and verse 5 says, For his anger endureth for a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping endureth for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. But notice with me, there is a sobering reminder in verse number 11. It says, well, verse number 13, rather, notwithstanding, the land shall be desolate because of them that dwell therein for the fruit of their doings. And here's why this is a sobering reminder for all of us in closing. It's that the effects of sin don't often just disappear. That's why God hates sin. That's why we ought to hate sin. Because the consequences linger even after God has forgiven us. Even after God has restored us. And that is why our attitude ought to be one of gratitude to God for his mercy, for his grace, for his restoration. And even as we are chastised to maintain confidence in this good God. There's more to this, and we'll see that next week. But I just want to leave with you here today that God does chastise as a result of sin. What sin are you intent on continuing to indulge in irrespective of God's mind on the matter? God says, I love you too much to just let you sin without correction. Former pastor's wife used to tell those children, I love you too much to let you do wrong. So there will be chastisement as a result of sin. It's for us to also recognize when we are being chastised as opposed to when we're being tested. And the thing to do is to address what God draws to our attention. But notice, even in the chastisement, the confidence of the servant. Servant relied and was encouraged by the mercy of God, by the relationship, the goodness of this God, and the fact that there was personal responsibility for the sin. And I trust that God will help us all to respond appropriately to the rod of correction.